You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. The 19th line, as I said, starts with the story that we began yesterday. And uh, one of the reasons why the story is crucial uh, and why it's connected here uh, will be apparent only at the end of the story. On a uh, just in terms of a literary uh, connection right away, before we get to the, the halachic reason, if the assumption this was Rebbe Leezer, who gave the drasha of Erev Tavshilin, where you know Erev Tavshilin, what's the rem as Erev Tavshilin, so it makes sense, there she is, it makes sense that the next story should also be about that same person, which would be Rebbe Leezer. So if you have the... Uh, so you can see Rebeliezer and Rebeliezer. Again, remember as we changed the text based on the footnotes that we saw there, based on the top note. So let's start the story one more time and put it into perspective. Okay? So again, these two letters, of course, are the key letters of uh, Tonu Rabbanan. Right? This is Tonu Rabbanan. Tonu Rabbanan, of course, is always the introductory to a Brisa or a Mishnah. The rabbis have taught us and generally, just like we said yesterday in a very lengthy, uh, you can listen to it, a lengthy discussion of what's a Tan and what's an Amora, whenever that Reish standing for Rabbonon is connected here with the Tonu Rabbonon, it means the rabbis who are of that golden August period, the period of the Tanoim. So they're the ones that are teaching us. And therefore, watch out, there's something here that needs to be analyzed very carefully. So over here, the 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 rabbis from the Tanatic period have preserved this story. And let's start it again. As I mentioned yesterday, uh, what the idea of a drasha is, it was an exciting thing to give a drasha. Today, people have the idea of a drasha that it's something boring and they're starting to look at their clock, their watch or phone as soon as the drasha begins. But the idea of a drusha was an investigation into something, a question that rang bells in people's mind. And therefore, if you'd be Doresh, you're trying to find some new material, something new, something novel, something that hasn't been discovered. That's the idea of being Doresh. So what was he doing? It was kolayom kulo. It, it looked like it could have been an all day. We're going to see as the story continues, it wasn't all day. And what was the topic? Hilchot Yomtev. Something about the laws of Yomtev. And as we've seen already, the laws of Yomtev are interesting and could be complicated. And this was the issue he was trying to investigate. So let's just reviewing from yesterday, since we have some new people here today, and welcome, of course. Uh, we have uh, the progression. Yotzkat Rishona, as we explained yesterday. Kat is like Kitot in school. Right, so you have the different groups in school, the different levels of classes in school. But over here, maybe it was the group that knew that they couldn't really last that long, and it positioned themselves in a way that they could sneak out. Whatever it was, it was the first group to leave. Um, my impression is, though, is that it wasn't like so orderly. Whoever that first group was, like let's say Rebbe Yezer said, okay, I'm about to turn to the next idea. 
And that's when that first group, probably in some aspect of respect, left the building and went home. So Yotz the Katrishon, and I'm going to assume it was with a little bit of uh, noise and scuffle. And that's why Rebbe Eliezer responded. Now, again, one of the things that's beautiful about the Talmud is that the people in the Talmud are humans. Uh, they're not supermen. And they exhibit sharpness and personality. And for a rabbi, you know, again, I, I know that um, now there's a famous story, I think, where um, Lawrence, Fishbon, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, who was, uh, was an actor, he's been on in, in, in film and on the theater. He was actually in uh, Apocalypse Now, if you, uh, you can catch him in the very beginning, a very young Lawrence Fishburne, Larry Fishburne. And uh, he was in um, that movie that everybody loves, The Matrix, as well. So, but he was uh, playing. I think, um, I think he was playing Othello, and uh, the cell phone rang, and he went out of character. <laughs> Why well, was the middle of the play? And I'm not going to repeat how the the expletives that he used, but he was quite forceful about the person in the audience. Um, and that tells you a little bit of Larry Fishburne, how much he cares about his craft. I think the same thing is true. Uh, again, you, you're the rabbi, you're teaching the shir, you're, you're the rov. Should you make a comment about the inappropriate behavior of the people that are listening to the shir? I think it's a question of temperament. Rebel Yezer clearly had the temperament to make a comment and for people to learn from that. It wasn't so much he was a hothead. That might have been part of it. But also he, he felt it's worthwhile for the others to hear the insult. And that's what he said. Hello, Bali Patsin. Those people that are leaving have a lot of stuff at home. They have a lot of pots and pans. And obviously that, that, that took away from the speech, just like Fishburne's uh, uh, outburst took away from uh, Shakespeare's uh, beautiful prose or, or, or language. But sometimes he got to make a stand. However, he kept on doing that, as you can see. Kachnia, the second group, left. Omar, Halalu Bale Chaviot. These people, again, they don't have maybe as much as the first group. As we explained yesterday in Rashi, and listen to the to the, the podcast recording of that. We went through that. Those are the people that have the barrels. They have less to do, but clearly they're leaving because they they, they want to get they want to work on their yomtif meals and and exit the the yeshiva. The Kachlishes, the third group. Uh, the scorn was a little bit less. But again, once Eliezer had made the pattern of using various size pots, he just kept on going with a, 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 a pot a little bit smaller than that, a jar a little bit smaller than that, which is smaller than a chaviot, which is a barrel. The next one is called a kad, right, which is a little bit smaller than a barrel. Um, the fourth group, Kat Revit, when they started to leave, and again, you could assume that the, the drusha was, was extending quite long in the, in the morning and the afternoon. And then he, he called them the Bali Laginin. And again, these, uh, these are all types of containers of liquids that you would boil, cook, drink stuff with, get your wine ready with. Kat Chamishit. And you can see here the fifth group, Kosot. And so that was pretty much the invective against um, the fifth, the five groups. Now we get to the sixth group. 
Omar, so then we know what Eliezer said, Halolu, those, uh, that sixth group, in other words, after they, I guess, as they're starting to leave, and they're not going to sit back down again, but they are leaving, <laughs> their commitment is there, Halolu, Bale Me'era, those are, and again, the word Me'era is, is, is a tough term, it means a curse, a pox, a blight, from the word arur, the aleph and the resh is the same shorish of arur. Those are, in a way, ones worthy of being cursed or in a cursed state. Now, what did that mean? Um, in a way, one could actually, you think about it, as we were saying yesterday, they stayed longer than everybody else. <laughs> Maybe he should have had a little bit of, uh, said, well, look, look how long they stayed. They stayed they, they were the sixth group to leave. They heard quite a bit of the Torah, and they and they had respect up until this point. And yet, he gives actually a pretty uh, solid, uh, a, a real angry tone towards them. Okay. Now, in order to understand what that means, we have to go to the next group. The next group were actually the ones that were the loyalists. They're not leaving no matter what. Whatever inner frustrations they might have. And let's see the words. Natan Enav, or Nasan Enav, he started looking. And clearly, you know when someone's looking at you. In other words, there's two ways to give a shear. There's one way, make eye contact and show that you're talking to them. Okay, I don't know if you, if you guys can see me. I'm trying. Uh, I got the little light on the computer. So again, I am in a way looking away, but you see, I'm trying to make eye contact with you. But then there's notanena, which means that's not just eye contact. You're looking at me with eyes. There's something in that look that you're trying to say. Notanena bitalmidim. And therefore, because of that look, the subtlety, and it's a subtle difference, but it's a, it's obviously a real difference. What happens in, the, in those last group, the students, the loyalists, let's see the, and again, as I mentioned yesterday, this is almost in pure Mishnaic Hebrew, Hitchilu Penehem Mishtanim, or Hitchilu Penehem Mishtanim. Their faces began, like Haschala, Mishtanim, like we say Manishtana, changing differences, Mishtanim, their faces began to change color. They were clearly, something's wrong. They became, uh, they were worried that, the, uh, right? So this would be interesting. What exactly was going on over here? Um, you know, they they were worried. Their faces changed colors. And why were they thinking that something is even worse? So this is where Rashi is going to help us a little bit because it seems to be strange. The first thing that's strange is why such a a vicious invective against the sixth group? The other thing is, what was it that the students thought Eliezer meant here? What is it that they thought to the point that they are so nervous? Um, Before we see the Rashi, I'm just going to read the next piece and see if that can help us figure it out. 
You know, one thing that uh, I've learned uh, from maturity <laughs> is that although when you're taught as a student, look at Rashi, look at Rashi. And as I said yesterday, Rashi is your friend. But there's also something to be gained and something important in reading the text and getting even more frustrated with it, but at least you have an ownership of it. So I'm going to do that here in this case. So I've already pointed out what, when I read it, what's problematic to me and what should be problematic to you. Let's read further and see if we can make some sense of it before we uh, sort of like throw up our hands and say, Rashi, help me. Maybe we can make some sense of it as well. So let's see the next part. Amr lechem, b'ni, or b'nai, which means he loves them, like children. And he should, because they stayed. He said, lo lechem ani omer. Don't think to you, I am saying. That's true, I looked at you, but don't think that you're somehow included. Lo lechem ani omer. You guys are fine with me. Ella, any anger that I had was lachalolu to those shiyatsu, those that left. And we mentioned this yesterday, shemanichim, that they're leaving chaye olam. And again, it takes a lot of, of I, know, I wouldn't call it hubris, but it takes a lot of confidence to say that what you are providing is eternality. You are providing pure Torah connections, which is like which is like pure spirituality. That's what he says. Shemanichim, they're leaving that. What they have here in this base medrash, in this walls of my teaching to you is Chaye Olam, is like the life force of the world that is eternal. And they can actually revel in it and be part of it. Now, I know what they're doing. Va'oskim, I know why they're leaving. And it's not because they have to watch the, the you know, uh, the, the series or the Bulls game or whatever it is. That's, that's not for that. It's not because they just want to get home and, and schmooze about politics. I know they're doing a, a mitzvah. But oskim, what they are involved in, mitzvah though it might be, is b'chaye sha'ah. It's life but it's life that's clearly finite. Whereas what I was doing, even though it sounded somewhat mundane because it was about the laws of Yontif, and the laws of Yontif are really what we do in this mundane world, but learning about it, even if it's learning about a mundane subject, of a practical subject, of what is Erev Tavshilin and what is not, and when you can cook and when you can't, and if the dog eats the Erev, how much more are you, are you allowed to continue to cook? All those questions, even though they are definitely rooted in this world, but the actual uh, event of what's happening, the actual situation of what's occurring, Eliezer called that Chayolam, the actual research and excitement and involvement is itself Chayolam. And when you're learning Torah, he's saying it's, it's like you're reveling in, in an eternal world. 
And what they are doing is osek b'chaye shah. And I expect, and it sounds like it's unexpected more from them. Okay, did this answer why he cursed them, the last group, the worst? And did it explain why the students got nervous? No, but it shows you that he wasn't mad at the last group and that the statements he was trying to make, insulting though they might be, were for the service of this very, I believe, incredibly, um, uh, you know, a, a, a incredible high principle that that it's it, it's it's difficult for many people to buy into that learning Torah isn't just a means to an end, but it actually is almost an end to itself. You're almost in a world of eternality. Manichem Chayolam. And, and somehow, even though what they were doing was also a mitzvah, there's a superiority to this. There's a, there's a spiritual aesthetic which, which, which reigns supreme. And that, that was his point, even though he, he sort of uttered it clearly in a, in a quite uh, insult. Again, I would have been hurt and insulted. And, and, and that is what was going on. Um, so that gives us some closure or some understanding of his attitude. doesn't explain why he gave the worst curse to them and doesn't explain why they were nervous. Rashi's going to explain that. Before we get to that, let's just finish the Brysa. Let's finish the story. The Brysa is the story. Let's see what happens next. Okay, so remember what our questions are. And let's go to the next part. So, Bishat Ptiratan. Okay, so, <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're going to stay for the next year, you'll see that the next year is about, unfortunately, the colloquial idea of Ptiros, of people that pass away, and what happens when, to Sfiras Omer, when you're dealing with a, a loved one who has passed away. Uh, so, a nifter, it doesn't mean Ptiros, and usually they say uh, Ptiros sometimes means when they died. But it literally means that they are no longer responsible. That's that's what it means. You've heard people say he was nifter. The, the Nova Minsker Zatzal was nifter. Nifter means uh, is 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 meaning is not um, responsible anymore. Like you're putter from the mitzvah. Women are putter from certain mitzvahs that are time bound. They don't have to do them. Petira is when a person dies, what it means is he's now not in the world of responsibility. He was niftar, meaning whatever it was in mitzvos and in his other responsibilities. That's what we mean when we say a person is niftar. Um, but it literally means that you're not responsible, meaning that clearly the shear is over and I'm going to go do something else. That's pitirasan. In other words, that normally we have a, a relationship and there's a Zoom meeting and we're supposed to be together. We decided we're going to be there. We're, you'll see, and, and, you know, when we get to around uh, uh, 12.50 today, whatever it is, we'll be nifter from each other. <laughs> pitirasan. We decided to be up into now. I have nothing more to say. You have nothing more to add. Now you're going to go do your own thing. 
that responsibility that we've committed ourselves is over. That's what it means here. Bishas Petirosa. When it was clear the shear was over, and now they were going to leave, Amr Lehem, he said to them, and he quoted a Pasuk. Now, as I mentioned yesterday, for those that were here, up, upgraded Talmud pages give you a lot of help, depending on, again, they keep on getting printed better and better. Here's an example. Here's a Pasuk from uh, Sefer Nehemia, and there's a little three here, and you can see I'm pointing to it at the cursor, and you can see it here on the side, the complete Pasuk. As I mentioned yesterday, always have your Tanakh ready. Rebbe Leezer is quoting a Pasuk, and what does he mean by that Pasuk? So, um, I'm going to actually, I'm not going to open the Tanakh here because I don't have it available right here on my, um, I don't have it available right here on my um, uh, screen and on my, what I've decided to put here, but I do have the Pasuk here and you can see it. Yomer Lechem, this was Ezra talking to the Jewish people who were crying. They were crying because um, they were hearing things they had never heard before. They were the Jews that came back uh, at the time of the second Beis HaMikdosh, and it was on a Rosh Hashanah, the first Rosh Hashanah that they were back. And the Jews had cried, and, and, and there was a question about what exactly they were crying. Part of it, obviously, was the fact that they had not been religious or not known. They had not had teachers. A lot of things welled up together to cry on that Rosh Hashanah. Um, and when the, the leaders noticed the effect, and what, what had happened was not just a, 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 they didn't just blow shofar, but they actually read the Torah, and that had not been done in a long time. And there was a, an assembled group of people who had really uh, been part of the Hurban, who had been part of the destruction, who had lived through the destruction and, now, and, and had suffered and now had come back. And there was a sense of, of something new happening and yet guilt over the past. So Ezra said to them, Listen, it is Rosh Hashanah today. Go home and eat mashmanim. Now, you know the word shemen, which is oil, but mashmanim is, is actually like an extract of something, the fat of something. In Hebrew, you'll say someone is shamen. He's, he's got a lot of excess, got a, a spare tire. So mishmanim is fat. Eat fatty stuff. Shetu mam takim. You know, the word matok, of course, means sweet. So what it meant was drink the sweet wine, the sweet drinks. Vishilchu manot And send manot. Send presents, like we have Mishloch Manot, send portions to people who don't have. Now, it doesn't say that people don't have. The Gemara is going to make a point out of this. It says people who nachon, that it isn't ready for them. We'll see in a minute. But the reason why that behavior is proper, it's Rosh Hashanah. They're thinking about the tshuva they had to do. Ezra emphasizes 
It's a holy day for our master. Yes, God is the master on Rosh Hashanah, and you're definitely feeling that. But there's a holiness that should be permeating, and it does. And don't be upset. Don't be upset. Don't be depressed. We talk about atzvut. And why shouldn't you be depressed? You shouldn't be depressed, Ezra said, the happiness. You might know this word chedva. There are a lot of uh, girls, I don't know if it's still a popular name, chedva or chedvi, but you sometimes hear that. Chedva, uh, of course, means a happiness. That there's a happiness and a, and a real, in real outward showing of that happiness. Chedva, of course, if you've been to a wedding, you know, they sing from the Sheva Brachas. Gilarina Ditsava Chedva. The Chedva is of God today. He, that Chedva that you can tap into by your eating and drinking and sending presents, He Mu'uschem, that's something that will give you O's, will give you strength. So that was the Pasuk that he quoted, the whole Pasuk he said to them, as we can see back in the Gemara. He said to them that Pasuk. Now, this might have been Rosh Hashanah. My impression is that it was not. My impression was that it was a regular Yom Tov. I can't prove that it wasn't Rosh Hashanah. But he quoted to them this Pasuk when they left. Why did he do that? It's a beautiful Pasuk. But if you think about it, it sort of goes against his whole shear, right? His whole shear was about studying Torah all day. And he quotes a Pasuk from Ezra about eating and drinking and sending presents. So it's an interesting interesting thing here, right? So there's a number of, of strange things in the story. Let's just recap the strangeness. First of all, why does the last group get the worst curse? Secondly, what was going on with the eyes that he was giving them? And what, what were they scared about? Third, this last Pusik is sort of like perplexing. You don't expect them to say that. Maybe expect them to say, Tyre is the greatest thing in the world. That's not what he said. He actually talks about how Yom Tov, even Rosh Hashanah, where many people believe you're just, you know, you're supposed to, you know, daven bent over and, 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 and very upset. He quotes the Pusik that actually uh, d- describes that Rosh Hashanah, that first Rosh Hashanah uh, of the Second Commonwealth in a way that it's uh, an extremely uh, happy day and that, and, and that there's no room for being depressed or upset at all. And obviously they should stop their crying. So uh, the end of the story, although again, there's a lot of great personality, the last parts of the story are, are perplexing. Um, and Rashi and Tosfot are going to help us with, with that perplexity. Okay, so let's take a look. We st- now, um, let's take a look at Rashi first. So Rashi, of course, is on the left, always at the heart of the page, because this would be where the binding is. Let's take a look. So we did this yesterday, so you'll be me those that were here yesterday, that I'm repeating it. Halalu Bale Me'era. That's the sixth group. Okay? So, Rashi says, 
the reason why he gave them that curse, yeah, they stayed late, but they should have been aware, Shehoyah Beit HaMedrash Mitrokein Ma'od, that the Beit HaMedrash was um, very empty now. Mitrokein, we mentioned yesterday from the word rake, it's gotten real empty. And therefore, G'nai Adover, it really looks bad. <laughs> it looks bad when someone comes in here. If somebody would see it, I feel bad, Rebel Yezer, is looking here and seeing, I, I'm still, in, I maybe haven't even gotten to the best part of my shear yet. <laughs> I haven't come with the answer. I only, we're still in the investigate. It's like the Denuma hasn't happened yet. The Drusha, the questions are there. And we haven't wrapped it up and discovered the third act yet where everybody's so happy with the ending. It hasn't even occurred yet. And, and look, there's no one here. Vigenayadav, are a few people here. Vikoshabeinav, that's why he was upset about it. Um, now, uh, again, if you're following the Rashi, look at the next Rashi. The bold letters indicate that this is a, a a a word from the major script. One of the I talked about the Torah or a minute ago having the complete pasuk on the side. One of the adva- one of the uh, advancements in the Talmud page was bolding the Rashi. Uh, we call the Dibur Amaschils. So let's take a look in that way. All of these are bolded which means you know where it's connected on the page. They don't always, they're always not right next to it, but I can always, it's easy for me to track it. Now, when I was growing up, you know, many, many years ago, none of the Gemaras had this. There was one or two, but there was a lot of problems with those uh, uh, editions. Today, any time you walk into, again, we have Chicago people here, you're going to walk into Rosenblum's, uh, you're going to uh, ask for a Gemara, they're all going to have bolded Rashis. Uh, uh, non-bolded Rashis is, is almost, you can't find it. So it makes it much easier. But here, take a look at this bold. Ad matai heim yoshvim. Now, I just read the Brisa to you from beginning to end. Those words do not appear in the Brita, the way I read it. And yet, here they are, bolded in Rashi. Ad matai heim yoshvim. Now, what, is, what does it mean, and why, and, and what's it doing here? So let's translate first. Something is strange, you look at it and examine it. It's strange, because it didn't appear in the text. And here it is in bolded letters, as if it is part of the text. So let's read it. Ad matai, until when? Until when are they sitting? Hmm. Now, who could that be? So it seems like that could have been what Rebbe Eliezer had said. How long are they still going to be sitting? Right? Because it wouldn't be one of the students who said it, that, that would be terrible to, to mention. It's bad enough we talk about them leaving. It sounds like Rabbi Eliezer exclaimed, Ad How long are they sitting? Now, if that was in the text, 
it would actually make sense why that last group got nervous. Because they weren't just looked at, but Rebeliezer said when he looked at that his students and he sort of spoke about them in the third person, like we speak to the Russia at the Seder, right? If he would have been there. So it's like Rebeliezer is not really looking at them, but he's saying, how long are they still sitting here, these people were still here? So that would make sense now why they, they got nervous. How long are you sitting? That's why they may have thought they should have been left. They should have left already. Um, but Rashi points out, look at this Lamed Gimel. That's not Lag Baomer. That's not, that's Lag, Lamed Gimel. But it stands for, it's a key phrase in Rashi's. I mentioned yesterday a number of key phrases for Rashi. This is another one, a, a, a key uh, abbreviation that Rashi uses a lot. Lo Garcinan. Lo Garcinan, meaning it's not in the text. It is, but take it out. Don't study it. So this really reflects a reality that we're talking about. The reality is, is that, um, the reality is, is that the text had words in it that Rashi wrote comments on. The reason was, was because Rashi expected people to have manuscripts, and there was a predominant number of manuscripts out there. And Rashi had a manuscript copy of the Talmud as well. Rashi knew that those manuscripts were copied over and over at great expense. Rashi knew that many of those manuscripts, maybe the ones he studied when he was young, had those words in it. And Rashi, with a lot of muscle, said that those were mistakes. Lo Garcinan, it, 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 those should not be studied, and we should not study them. Now, it could be that would mean that the next time this is copied over, those words should be expunged. But it indicates that it, it could be that many of the medieval writers had that text. There was not a, a, a there was not a uniformed there was not a uniformed uh, printing press. There was not uh, so therefore, it, it's almost like I'm giving this shear, and everybody's on a different type of computer. Everybody's got a little bit of a different nature, and maybe it's hard for them to to, to zero in. That's not what's going on because we do have a certain uniformity, whether you're using a Mac or a PC. But remember, Rashi's writing to uh, an audience who has different texts, because this is before the advent of the printing press. So Rashi is writing for uh, various type of texts, and he knows many of them have it. And Rashi is saying, get it out, or at least don't study it. And hopefully the next time it gets written over, it won't even be copied in there. And that's what Rashi is saying, don't copy that in. Okay, so when I see that, I'm going to be honest with you. When you're when you when you start teaching Gemara to high school students, normally they skip these Rashi's. They don't even want to confuse people. Like, but if I would be a curious high school guy or girl, I would say, um, if that was in the old text, why did Rashi take it out? Um, is there something wrong with it? What's wrong with it? And why isn't it there? 
And since we're catering our shear for adults, I'm going to ask the same question. What was wrong with it? And why did Rashi want to expunge it? Well, I'll tell you why I th- what I think. I think on one hand, this phrase explains why they got nervous. Because they thought he was telling them, how long are you guys going to keep on sitting here? And that's why their faces changed. He didn't even talk to them directly. He said, how long are they going to be sitting here? And now it explains why their faces changed, because he thought they were, that was an arrow in their heart. In fact, it almost sounds like um, he was blaming them for staying so long. Like he kept on giving the shear because that's his job. But he was upset at them for staying. The problem with that interpretation, why Rashi expunges it, is because as we've seen, he tells them, I'm not mad at you at all. And I was upset at the others for leaving. So therefore, he would never have said, how long are they staying? And explain it, hey, I'm mad at the other people. (laughs) So even though it does work to explain why they were upset, it doesn't fit with what he says later, where he says, I wasn't upset at you at all. I was upset at everybody else. But if that's true, the phrase, how long are they sitting here? Who is he talking to? Those people had left already. So whoever put those words in, the, the scribe who put it in, inserted that, and it sort of makes sense as to why the last group of loyalists thought he was trying to get upset at them. But it doesn't work with his later explanation. So Rashi throws it out. Lo Garcina. Okay? But now we're left with why was he? Why did they get upset? What did they, why did they get worried? What, why was that? So Rashi needs to explain it. That's the next Rashi. Yeah, Debbie, it's, it, it's, but, but he would have said, I, I, he would say to them, uh, in other words, the sixth group, he would have said, you know, he wouldn't say until how long are they still sitting, right? He would have said, why did, you know, or, you're right. He could have said, why did they sit here this long? That would have been a better text. You're right. He would have said, why did they sit here this long? Uh, you know, if they wanted to leave, they sort of, you know, they, they were nishtahir, nishtahir, right? like they were uh, not here, not there. That would have been, but he says, how long are they sitting? How much longer are they sitting? It sounds like it's to the present people. But you're right, Debbie, that could have been a good response to the ones that left. And, 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 but, but then the guys that are still here, I guess, would know that he's not mad at them. Let's take a look at the next Rashi. Hischilu peneyem mishtanim. Okay, yeah. Okay, so let's take a look at the. Um, so let's take a look at the la- what Rashi says. Ksvurin, they thought shikoes al katshishis mipnei sheichulotzeit. And this is close to what we were just saying, Debbie, that 
that the he didn't say the words matayim yoshvim. He just looked at them, and he thought they thought that the look that he still had in his eyes was towards the last group, and is now intensifying against them. Why was he mad at the last group? Rashi told us what the real reason was, was because they left the base medrash empty. But they thought the reason why he was mad at the last group was because it, 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 when they left, what are they going to gain from it? They're not going to be able to make Yontif now. In other words, they were in for a pound. They should have stayed in. And therefore, what those guys are doing is they're not going to make Yontif. And for sure, this is Koshkein, Vichovshin. And for sure, when it comes to us, um, he's upset at us. Meaning, we stayed long. He was giving the shear, but he seems to feel that I guess he was just going to go on and keep the broadcast going, but he's upset at us for because we're not going to be making we're not we're not going to be able to make a decent yuntif meal because he's mad at them for leaving late. I, I guess he's for sure mad at us, and and at least this way, without this extra words, you can see why it was sort of cryptic what was going on, and that's why he tells them. I'm not mad at you. My look, I'm still like thinking about them. <laughs> and we sometimes tell our kids that. Are you upset at me? No, I'm just thinking about what just happened. And 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 your kids, unfortunately, get your glare, even though the glare is from something that happened in a couple of minutes ago. But you still got it. And 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 or and you. And maybe it's because your kids are, are, in this sense, his students were so much better than the ones that left. And that's why he has to speak to them in such a kind way and say, B'ni, lo lachem, ani omer, I'm not saying that about you at all. Don't think what I said about cursed and, and and people who have nothing because they don't have this or that. I meant about them, and it's because I thought they really, you know, made this look ridiculous. But I have nothing against you at all. Okay. Now, um, that's the story. The other question, I'm sorry, that's Rashi. But the other question is why he told them this Pusik. That's Tosfus' question. <laughs> well, Tosfus gets into it a little bit later, but I, I, I'll read you where Tosfus says it. Tosfus says the reason he told his students to go eat, Tosfus on the right, to see a He wasn't able to do an all-nighter, an all-dayer. He wasn't able to just keep the Torah going all day. So now that the Torah is over, there's no Chaye Olam anymore because Rebbe Liesa is not there to give it to them. Now it's time to do the mitzvah of Simchas Yontif. He says, <laughs> Other days, 
of course, it was not like they fasted. There were shiurim every single day in the yeshiva. And maybe the Rebbe was longer and shorter one day or the other, but they definitely ate. They would eat on other days. Mikolma, this is a, uh, 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 an abbreviation. Umikolmakom. So he was sending them to eat because eating was normal. They didn't, uh, it's not like they fasted like monks and they just learned Torah all day. They ate. They loved Torah, but then they went to eat. But Mikolmakom, meaning even though he'd given a drusha for a long time, Omar Luhu, that's Aramaic, he said to them, Achlu Mishmanim, go eat the fatty stuff, drink the good sweet stuff. Why? Mishum Simchat Yom Tov. So Tosus is saying, that there's a there's a little bit of a of an anomaly. There's a little bit of a of an interesting paradox, but it really isn't that hard to understand. Yes, Rebbe Eliezer is a, a Torah only Jew. He loves Torah and he believes that when you're involved in a shear, it's like you don't even need to. It's like Moshe Rabbeinu on Har Sinai, not even needing to eat or drink. But now that it's over, and and, and you're not learning. So, of course, the Simchas Yom Tov is relevant. Go and eat. Now, how did he expect them to have this great meal? Who was preparing it for them? If they're sitting and studying, that's not explained. But I, that's why he makes that statement. He makes that statement to say, there's nothing wrong with enjoying your Yom Tov meal. I don't know how enjoyable it's going to be for them because they spend so long in the base Medrash. By the time they get home, Yontif might be over. If it's Shavuos, for example, or whatever it is, they might not have time. Still, he makes that statement to, to, to indicate that I am not against a happy Yontif, if that's what your choice is, to go eat. So that's the Brysa. Um, the Brysa now, I'm going to just, I'm going to try to finish in three minutes. So, once the brisa is, is is complete, and it started on that line, whatever that line was, from this ton of Rabbanam, till it went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight lines, eight, eight, almost eight complete lines. Now we have these two words. It's a key Gemara phrase. It's quoted again, Amar Mar. What is it you just said? Can you please read it back, court reporter? Omar Mar. Repeat what was said, please, in the Brisa. And you would put quotation marks here. What was it said? What did he say again? Like doing, is, is that possible? He called it like just something for this world? Is it not right that Simcha's Yomtev, having Simcha and a good meal and prepared nicely with company and, and enjoying that, that generates an inner sense of, 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 of feeling well, feeling that it's special? That's a Simcha of Yomtev. It's a mitzvah. And if it's a mitzvah, how can you just call it Chaye Sha'a? All right. So the Gemara says, you know why? Because Rebbe Eliezer, who's the hero of the story, 
Litaimei. I mentioned yesterday what the idea of matam is. Tam is the Talmud's term for a reason, a taste. The reason Rebbe Liezer is 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 according litaimei is 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 lining up according to his reason, a reason that he said in another place. The Omar that he's on record for saying Simchas Yomtuf Rishus. Simchas Yomtuf is really a option. Meaning you have two options when it comes to Simchas Yomtuf. Doesn't mean it's not a mitzvah. It means the mitzvah has two ways to be fulfilled. And I'm going to go a little bit quick here and then we'll go back over it if we need tomorrow. The Tanya, because there's a Brisa. So again, we've now had two Brises with Rebbe Liezer. One was Tana Rabbanon, and this is Ditanya. Rebbe Liezer Omer, Ein Lola Adam B'yomtov. When a person stands in a Yomtov, and what are the choices for him? Ella, he's got to decide what's he going to be. O Ochel Vishose. Either he's going to eat or drink. Oh, Yoshei Vishonet. Now, Rebbe Yezer says it in a dramatic way. He gives you the two options. Eat or drink. Sit and repeat your studies and go over your studies. Eat or drink. Yoshei Vishonet. Which is to study, to repeat, to learn, to let the information get into your system. That's what shonem means, to do it a second time, like the word shani, to study again. That's what it's about. Okay. Rabbi Yeshua Omer, and he was a very good friend of Rabbi Yezer. Those were the two, by the way, in the famous story in Gitin, they were the ones who brought out the body of Yochanan ben Zakkai uh, to meet uh, Titus, right, to meet Titus, and to try to negotiate the terms of surrender. But Rabbi Yezer and Rabbi Yeshua were known as the two greatest students. And they led the academy, um, basically. Uh, it was a little bit of a, there was a figurehead, Rabbi Gamliel, who was there, uh, actually he had married Rabbi Yezer's, um, he married Rabbi Yezer's sister. Uh, repeat again, Rabbi Yezer married Rabbi Gamliel's sister. Uh, so they were all good friends, but these were the two superstars. When the Gemara speaks about Rabbi Akiva uh, becoming the great Rabbi Akiva, they talk about him studying by these two men, Eliezer and Yehoshua. So they they met, there was a lot of commonality between them. Let's see their argument here. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Ein Loladam Yomtav Ochov Rabbi Yeshua Omer, Chelkeyu. Split the day up. Chetziav Hashem, half of it to God, Chetziav Lachem, and half of it for you. And therefore, Rebbe Liezer in the story, as we said, was uh, adapting his principle and wanted his students to be that way. He would have loved to be able to just do the whole day. You would have been fasting, essentially, right? If you can take it, and Eliezer had the energy, you would have stayed from after davening till the sun went down with this incredible, amazing drosha and learning. 
Okay, it didn't happen that day because even he petered out and sent them to eat. But that was Rebbe Eliezer's take on what you could do. Whereas Rebbe Yeshua says, you need to structure things and do half and half. Now, I want to end because uh, um, it's Thursday. We won't be meeting again until Monday. I'd like to end with how the Rambam explains what this means, half and half. Take a look at this Rambam in Hilchas Yomtev. Kachi Adat. Beboker mashkimen kol ha'am it's Yantav Davening should be early. <laughs> it should be early Yantav Davening. Get to Shul early, the Rambam says. Or Bate Midrashot, wherever it is that you Daven. Umit And you should Daven there. But it should be an early minion. Yeah, right? I got people here who know what the early minion is about. Vikorin, although uh, Skokie's early minion, I think, is 8 o'clock, not 7, right? Vico, right? I think so. Maybe it's seven, I forgot. Vic, eight, right? Eight now, right? We're talking about real early. Vikorin Batora. And then afterwards, of course, as part of the minion, you read, you have the Torah read. Vikhosin Lubateim, and you go home right away. Vikhosin. And you eat an early lunch. Vikhosin Lubate Medrashot. And then you go back to Shul. And not to shul, you go back to the yeshiva, you go back to the place where you learn. Koran vishonen avchatsya yom till about noon. So let's talk about that. Seven o'clock davening. Davening's over in about 90 minutes, let's say. Maybe two hours. Nine o'clock you go home. It's a 15 minute walk, whatever it is. You eat your meal. You're finished by 10.30 or so. You go back to shul or go back to the yeshiva, until noon, a good hour and a half, whatever it is, you learn some more. And after chatzot, what do you do? You daven mincha, which means you go back to the base, you go back, uh, you daven mincha right after the learning. And then you go back to have like uh, shavashidas, you go back to have like an afternoon meal. So it isn't exactly, and this is the Rambam's version of 50-50, which means you definitely spend time studying and time davening, and you make sure that that's primary. Maybe this is not so different from what people do on Yantav, but that is the Rambam's version of what it means, Rabbi Yeshua's Psak, of Chetzi Chetzi. Early and make sure there's some learning going on uh, after your first meal. It's not; it doesn't just turn into one long, extremely drawn-out, excessive meal. It's broken up by a davening and by learning. So it's not rebeliezer, but at least it's it definitely it definitely bespeaks of a very spiritual day. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.